Have you noticed that uh, life's experiences from which we draw um, a great deal of our happiness, that they often, they often don't last? Your favorite team's winning streak finally comes to an end. The newness of your new car eventually goes away. Uh, at work, you know, something happens and all the stars align and you've got just the job and the task at work that you like with the right coworkers and the right boss and it's fantastic, but then something changes and it's no longer that way. Or even the friendships, the friendships that, that you have can, can end, maybe just because of dent, distance or maybe unresolved friction or even death. The other person eventually dies and that friendship ends. The sources of happiness in this life, they all seem subject to ending at some point. And with that being true, then we, I mean, with, with that being the world in which we live, we then come to faith in Christ. We weren't in Christ, but we come to the point where we understand that he's the answer to our problem with God, and we put, place our faith in Jesus Christ, and we have this new life. We, we're, we're, we experience forgiveness of sins and, and a new walk with God. So it's, it's called a new birth in, in the scriptures, a new life. But we can at times begin to wonder, is this, is this new life in Christ going to last? We can, we can start to doubt whether or not it will last. There's pressure from people on the outside of us, people that we know, and they don't share our faith uh, or our interest in Christ and they let us know that and they as the years go by they pressure us and then there's also the growing chorus of voices um, that we hear in the media and in the society around us that question our faith and dismiss our faith and even mock us for our faith and then if that wasn't bad enough we have our own, our own struggle on the inside, our own personal struggles with temptation to sin. And sometimes in the midst of all that, we begin to wonder, is this, is this life I have with Christ, is it really going to, is it going to last? Well, the Apostle Paul says this early on in the book of Philippians. He says to them, he said, I am sure of this. Now when he starts to say something like that, I haven't told you what verse it is yet. That's okay. But when he no, don't say. I don't want him to know. I don't want you to know yet. Just listen to me. The the apostle Paul is saying, "I am sure of this." What is it, Paul? What is it that you're sure of? And he goes on and he says, "That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion." At the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. So turn there. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians. It's on page 1395. Um, our, our, our new Bibles are ordered, but they're not here yet. So don't worry. But, so the page numbers will be different. Maybe next week. Who knows? But I want to read verses 1 to 11 
And then uh, our, our, the focus of our attention this morning will be verses 3 to 7. 3 to 7. Verses 1 and 2, I'm going to come back to later because they tie into something that happens later in the book. So I'm not skipping them to, to miss them. We'll get to them. But, and then uh, verses 8 to 11, I'm planning for next week. But it all fits together. So let me read these verses. It says, Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I have prepared, but I offer that preparation to you and just ask that you would take it now by your spirit and do with it as you wish. Lord, meet us right now over your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That verse 6 is the uh, focal point of this passage, actually. And it's, that, that it's the, the key thought that I want to shape what we, what we think about this morning. I'm sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He has this confidence. He has this certainty that the life of Christ that the Philippians have, they're, they're not going to lose it, and they're going to keep going, and they're going to make it. They're going to make it to the end. And there are three sources of his confidence concerning the reality and the endurance of their life in Christ. And that's what I want us to see this morning, are those three sources of confidence. And as we look at them, of course, we'll, we'll take them and see what Paul is saying about the Philippians. But we want to then look at our own lives and say, yes, okay, how does this relate to me? Now, the first source of confidence is a surprising one, perhaps, but it fits with one of the great messages of the book of Philippians. And, and Paul is actually saying that one of the sources of his confidence about the enduring life of Christ in the Philippians is their strong relationships in the gospel. 
They're strong relationships in the gospel. In verse 6, there's this resounding declaration of certainty. But look what is surrounding that declaration. Look in verse 5. He's talking about their partnership in the gospel. And then uh, look at verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians were, were linked together with each other and with Paul and they were all participating in the gospel like we talked about last week. They're working together in the gospel. And what's interesting is, is that Paul is saying that when I look at you Philippians and I see the way you're linked together with each other in the work of seeing the gospel advance, there's a confidence in my heart. That, that's one reason why I'm confident that what God began in you, he's going to bring to completion. And mixed into this, uh, these relationships is the, is the idea of prayer. In verse 3 to 5, prayer is mentioned three times. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That's prayer. Then he says in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. That's, that's being repetitive. The Apostle Paul is saying, that, saying it over and over. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And I don't know if you've thought about it, but let's let this verse remind us all that prayer strengthens relationships. Prayer for each other strengthens our relationships with each other. Do you pray for other people? Do, do you? Yeah. Uh, and and um, do, do, sometimes we get caught up with our own needs and we forget about other people. But let's pray for others. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a person that you wish your relationship with him or her was a little stronger and better than it was? Um, well, let me ask you, do, are you praying for that person? Are you praying for the people that you want to have good relationships with? In this passage, too, there's a great expression of affection. You, you begin to sense it from the Apostle Paul. In verse 7, he says, it's right for me to feel this way. There's feeling going on here. And then down in verse 8, he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's this, there's this um, heart attitude towards the people, but it's all fueled and intertwined with prayer. Paul is praying for them. <clears throat> my wife and I, our family, uh, you know, we were missionaries for 11 years in Tanzania among the Sandawe people. And now we've been back for about 10 years, going on 11 years. And when I went back this past year, I got to see some, see some folks. And you know, it's interesting. One reflection I had was I still pray for people and I, over there, Sandawe, and I pray for some by name. And it was just interesting for me to see the difference on the inside of me as I bumped up against with, uh, with people who I knew but I haven't been praying with, praying for for 10 years, and people that I knew and I have been praying for them for 10 years. It was different. Inside of me it was different. 
I had this greater affection and yearning to reconnect with those for whom I have been praying. So let God do in you what he wants concerning your relationships as you pray for each other. Amen? Let's pray. Pray. And I wonder, too, in my, this past year, I, it reminded me, to, well, it caused me to ask this question. Cliff, are, have you stopped praying for certain people that maybe God wants you to re-up that commitment and get, back, get them back on your prayer list? And I pass it on to you. Maybe, is there somebody, maybe even a, a family member, uh, uh, maybe a coworker? Maybe a neighbor, somebody that you used to pray for, but you're not now. Maybe, maybe God wants you to put that name back on the list and you keep praying because prayer strengthens relationships. And then notice in verse 7, look at 7 again. That phrase, "You you are all partakers with me of grace. You see, see, we want to have strong relationships with other grace receivers. I'll call them grace receivers. We are all receivers of grace. Amen? And, and as we walk, there's the grace of forgiveness, but there's that grace that we need of daily strengthening. And, and oh yeah, yeah, there's means of grace. Right? Anybody know what they are? One. Two, three, exclamation mark. I see some of you are saying it. Yeah, that makes me happy. One, external. That's the word of God. Two, internal attitudes. Trust and obey. Oh, you're making me real happy. Three, things that you can do. Prayer, fellowship, and service. And the exclamation mark is, don't forget the ordinances. Amen. Baptism and communion. And as we all avail ourselves of those means of grace, God pours grace into us. And as we're fellowshipping together, of course, fellowship is one of the means of grace. But as we're together with other grace receivers, grace flows. Amen? Grace flows between us and our relationships are strengthened and the gospel work goes forward. The picture that the New Testament gives of those who have a real and enduring life in Christ is that of a people who are linked together in the gospel and in the work of the gospel. Doesn't mean we're all pastors or missionaries, but together as Christians, we're all participating with each other to move forward. You know, I I did not even think about the fact that we were going to have an announcement about light in the park this morning. That wasn't even in my mind. But if that isn't an example of what this is saying, I don't know what is. Amen? And it's awesome, you know, 70 some of us every, every summer getting together and that's exactly what's happening. Participating in various ways to, to, to move the gospel forward in the Lehigh Valley. It's exciting. We do it together. Some of you know that my son is a pilot. And um, it was, he was interested in planes and flying from a young age. And uh, I, remember, I remember he was taking private pilot lessons over here at Queen City Airport. And I remember the day it came where he was going to have his first solo. Big deal. And in pilot life, that's a big deal. They have these traditions and stuff. If you succeed, they cut the back of your shirt off. 
I wasn't sure about that one, but I'm thinking, what, do, what happens if you don't do well? I, you know, I guess you just crash and it's over. I don't know. <laughs> this was, by the way, just a little sub point. This was, he didn't even have his driver's license yet. So I had to drive him to the airport. Then he gets in a plane and flies. Go, go figure that one out. <clears throat> but a big deal. We came, friends came. Watched him fly, came back down, they cut his shirt off, all this kind of stuff. Big deal, big deal. His first solo flight. Nobody else, just him. That is exactly not Christianity. No, no, no I mean, that's great for pilots. But it's exactly, not, it's exactly the opposite of what the Bible presents as the Christian life. There is no solo Christian life. The Christian life is, to, is all of us together. And that's one of the great themes of the book of Philippians. As we go, you'll, you'll see it over and over in one way or another. We're together in this. The Christian life. Yet individually, you must enter into the Christian life. No one can believe for you. You must trust in Christ yourself. But at that point then, how do you walk with Christ? It's not by yourself. It was never intended to be by yourself. It's together. Strong relationships in the gospel. That was one of the sources of Paul's confidence that the Philippians were, that, that what had started in them would, would continue. Now, the second source is the nature of God. Look again at Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I see at least three attributes of God uh, hinted at in this passage. First of all, he is faithful. God is faithful. He says, he who began a good work. Who is that? That's not the Philippians. That's not Paul. That's God. It's God who has begun this work in them. And it says, he who began. That means that your conversion, when you trusted in Jesus Christ and you actually were born again, you, you, you began this walk with God, that was exactly what it was. It was a beginning. It wasn't the end. You hadn't arrived. That was just the start in your experience. That means there's a middle and that means there's an end. And God, the one who began it, he is faithful and he will bring it to completion. Amen? And therefore, we can be confident because he is faithful. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. God called you into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, God is faithful. And he'll bring it to completion. I love Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? I love that verse. When God says something, he means it. When God starts something, he finishes it. And God began a good work in you. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bring it to completion. So God is faithful. But also we, I see hinted here, God is, he is invincible. Amen? 
We saw that in Job. Even Leviathan can't handle God. God handles Leviathan. There is a process that God has begun in you. Who will stop him? Who will rise up and, and, and thwart the purpose of God in your life? Who can do it? God is invincible. Job chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That is what Job said there at the end of the book. God is invincible. And also, I want you to see this here. God is personal. You see in verse 6 again, where it says, I am sure of this, that he, he, well that he is the same he as in verse, the the same person as verse 3. Now look at verse 3. It's God, but notice how he talks about God in verse 3. I thank my God. I love that. He's not just the God. He's not just God. Paul says, this is my God. God is, this is all personal. In, in Acts chapter 27, verse 23, um, the Apostle Paul, same one, they're in this, this tremendous um, trial because they're on this boat and there's this storm and the, 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 the crew thinks that they're, gonna, that they're lost and the, the soldiers that are guarding Paul, they don't know what to do. And listen to what Paul says uh, as he's talking to the, to the people on the boat. He says, This very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And then he goes on to tell him what the angel said. I love that. The God to whom I belong and whom I worship. This is my God. This is personal. God is faithful. God is invincible. And God is personal. He works in your life so that he becomes your God. Amen? He's not just God. He's my God. Isn't it good that your salvation is rooted in the faithful, invincible, personal God? Amen? Amen? Yeah. I'm so glad it's not rooted in me. The unfaithful, defeatable, well, sometimes I'm personal, but whatever cliff. Amen? But no, no, no. It's the faithful, invincible, personal God who begins this work in you and who will bring it to completion. The nature of God is a source of the Apostle Paul's uh, encouragement and his confidence. But now let's look at the third. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. The, th- the third source, I'm going to call it the real nature of salvation. The real nature of of salvation. And I'm putting the word real in there because there's obviously people who hold different opinions and there are other ideas. And so there are, there are other ways of looking at salvation that aren't, uh, they don't line up with the scriptures. That's why I'm calling it, this is the real nature of salvation. Look again at verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here, first of all, that salvation is God's work, 
not ours. Amen? He who began a good work in you. It's not, it's not you who began this work of salvation. <clears throat> it's he who began the work in you. Salvation is God's work, not ours. Turn to Acts. I want you to see Acts chapter 16. It's on page 1318. Acts 16. And we're going to see the story of the first convert of, in Philippi. This is the first person who, who became a Christian in Philippi. This is on Paul's journey there. <clears throat> so Acts 16, beginning at verse 11. And as we go through these, this book, we're going to keep coming back to Acts from time to time to see the story. <clears throat> verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Sam, Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. <clears throat> and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I want you to look at verse 14 again. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of a God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Who, who opened Lydia's heart? It was the Lord. Amen? Salvation is God's work, not ours. Now, another question is, well, who paid attention? Lydia did. <laughs> who believed? Well, Lydia did. And we see those things. See, we can see on the outside, we can see ourselves and other people paying attention to the word, <clears throat> believing in Jesus Christ. And, and subtly, if we're not careful, we begin to think that then it's us that's doing it, that we are causing the salvation. But what we can't see is what's going on already, and that is that the Lord is opening our heart. Amen? And the Lord is the one doing this. And it says there, it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. The only reason she paid attention, the only reason she believed was because God was doing his work in her. Let's not get mixed up with, let's just not get trapped in the, in the mystery of it. She was not a robot. She, she believed. God didn't believe for her. Nevertheless, it was his work in it. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a, res a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
What we're saying here is that, the, that, that one component of the real nature of your salvation is that it is God's work, not yours. Okay? And if that wasn't true, then we'd have plenty of boasting in heaven. Right? And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is saying there's no boasting in heaven. And in another place, in Galatians, it says, I'll boast. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of the cross of Christ. Amen? That's what we'll all be boasting about. We'll all be boasting about Jesus. None of us are going to be saying, you should have, you should have seen me down there. I really did good. That's why I'm here. None of us are even going to be saying, I believed. That's why I'm here. We would have all have believed. But we're not patting ourselves on the back, even for our faith. We're all looking to Jesus and saying, hallelujah. I loved that song by the choir this morning. An eternal hallelujah. We will sing to him. There's no boasting there. Because salvation is God's work, not ours. And then, secondly, another component of this real nature of salvation is that salvation will be complete at his return, not now. Amen? Salvation will be complete at his return, not, not now. Look again at Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You see, it isn't complete yet. Our salvation isn't complete yet. Now, now listen carefully. Don't, don't, let's, let's think carefully. In one sense, it's complete. Am I forgiven or am I not forgiven? I am, it's complete because of what Jesus did for me, I am forgiven. Amen? I, I do not fear death because I know that after that there is judgment, but I'll be cleared, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus did it for me on the cross. So in that sense, it's complete. That part is complete. I don't have to add anything to it. God doesn't have to do anything more with that. But in another sense, our salvation is not complete. Your sin nature is still in you. Amen? You still wrestle with temptation and sin. That pull is still in you. That gravity that pulls you down rather than lifts you up. That's still there inside of you. Your body is mortal. Our bodies now, they're going to die. So the, the, the gradual decay and, and then the death in our bodies, that will take place. Injustice and wrongdoing are still rampant on this earth. And that is not what Jesus came for, you see. That, that's happening yet. The earth itself groans for its own redemption. We are a long way from Eden. And so salvation is not yet complete. But it says in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I want you to catch this. This is pretty cool. At the day of Jesus Christ. What is that day of Jesus Christ? What is that? 
Because then, that's when it's brought to completion. Well, when I, when I read that, as I was studying that, I began, I, I was reminded of the phrase, the day of the Lord. In the scripture, in many places, it talks about the day of the Lord. And I went back and I found out that in, it's, uh, yeah, it's in eight Old Testament books. In eight different Old Testament books, prophets, they speak about the day of the Lord. And so I went back and I read all of them. Um, all of those, the, the references in the surrounding um, chapters. Listen what I found. <clears throat> in Isaiah, the day of the Lord is, is, for the dis, is for destruction from the Almighty. It is to destroy sinners. And the word that describes people in that day is dismayed. In Jeremiah, it is called the day of vengeance. In Ezekiel, it is called a day of doom for the nations. In Joel, and Joel, the day of the Lord is one of the main themes of the book of Joel. It's again called a day of destruction from the Almighty. It's a day of darkness and gloom. A day, it's the day in which joy is cut off. In Amos, the day is again called the day of darkness. <clears throat> it's, when, it's when judgment comes. In Obadiah, God says to people that on, the, on that day, your deeds will be on your own heads. Again, it is a day of reckoning, of being finally and fully held accountable. In Zephaniah, the prophet thunders that it is a day of wrath. And in Malachi, the day is described with the word burning. And in, in some of those cases, particular peoples or nations were the object of that day. Babylon was mentioned, Egypt, Edom, the people of Judah and Jerusalem. But in many of the same passages... <clears throat> Excuse me. The day of the Lord broadens to encompass, as it says in Zephaniah, all inhabitants of the earth. And yet in Joel, in the prophecy in which the day of the Lord is one of its major themes, there is a thin shaft of light that pierces this dark picture. For Joel also speaks of those that there are some who will escape the day of the Lord. And so, coming into the book of Philippians, we have this, this weighty picture of the day of the Lord. But here in Philippians 1.6, he's saying, but um, God's going to bring things to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Well, turn, I want you to see something. Turn to chapter 2. So, Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> verse I'll begin in verse 8 it's speaking about Christ having become a human being and he's saying and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is who? It's the day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Amen? And all of this it's spoken of in the Old Testament that this is the day of the Lord. Philippians is saying Jesus is the Lord. Jesus Christ has received this, this, this name. He is the Lord. It's his day. He's coming back. This day of, just, of, of, of judgment and gloom and darkness, this weighty, weighty thing of being finally and fully held accountable by God. This is Jesus' day. It's his day that he's coming back. But what Philippians is saying in chapter 1 verse 6 is, but for those of you in whom God has begun this work, you're going to be the ones that Jeremiah said, there's going to be some that will escape. That's you. Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of the Lord. He will bring it all to completion. On that day, your sin nature will be no more. Hallelujah. Amen? Did you, did you see the, the words of the song this morning? To love him with an unsinning heart. Is that the way it said? Unsinning. I liked it though. That we will, we will experience loving God and walking with him without that drag on the inside again. Hallelujah. Anybody else want that to come? Man, I want it. And you will rise from the dead on that day. That you will, you will be resurrected with a transformed body. Never again will you be called a mortal. You will be immortal. Hallelujah. 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 And injustice and wrongdoing will be punished Every crime, every injustice that's been propagated on any person and no human court ever settled the accounts, it's all been recorded. And in that day, it will all be turned upside down. And evil will be punished and evil will be put away and will no longer trouble us. Leviathan will be defeated. Amen? Again, it'll be gone. And the earth itself will be transformed and changed. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth. The life we had in Eden, well, it will be restored. And perhaps even we could say even enhanced. And so all that we lost in Eden will come back. And that which God has begun in you will come to completion in that day. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. Hallelujah and hallelujah. Amen? Amen. You see, salvation is God's work, not ours. And salvation will be complete at his return. Not now. And, and, and so we, we, as we grapple with... The real nature of salvation. And as Paul was looking at the Philippians, he was saying, I'm confident. 
I'm confident you began and you're going to end well. You know why? Because I understand salvation and I understand God. He's the one doing it, not you. And he's going to bring it to completion when Jesus comes back again. And on top of all of that, you're proving and you're showing by example that the real thing has happened in you. Why? Because you're linked together in the work of the gospel. I'm confident, Paul says. I'm confident in you, in God. You're not going to lose it. It can't be lost. Hallelujah. And so our confidence is rooted in the nature of God, in the real nature of salvation, and in the way we see that evidenced in God's grace in us that we participate together in the gospel. Well, what about you? The question as we come to the end is, what about you? How do you fit in this picture? Does your life look like the life of the Philippians? And then perhaps, perhaps you've, you've sensed some doubts in your own life. You've believed in Christ, but you've been wondering, can I lose this life? There's no need, no need to fear, my friend. Amen? Because it's God who's doing it, not you. And he will bring it to completion. I trust that the truth we've looked at will put perhaps some of your own, your own worries just to put them aside. And if you're in one of the life groups that, that's discussing our sermon, some of the life groups are doing that. There's some more questions and helps in the, um, in the uh, study guide that we sent out. I sent a new one, revised one out last night. If you're a life group leader, check your email. Uh, I revised it a little bit. But as you sit and you talk to each other and you talk about these things, don't be afraid to say, you know, at times I've, I've wondered, can I, can I lose this salvation? It's okay to wonder that. And we bring our, 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 wonder, our questions, we bring them to the Bible. And then we see there how God answers them. Amen? And you help each other and you talk together. And you pray together. And let God revive faith in your own heart that you can look at a verse like this and say, No, what God has begun in me, he will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. I can stop doubting and move forward. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, O oh Lord, for blessing us and um, giving us this time in your word. And, O oh Lord, I pray that you would work afresh in our hearts to give us the confidence that Paul had about our own lives. Oh, how we bless you, Father, that this does not depend on me, but on you. And, and how we thank you, Father. Yes, we know. You, you do lay uh, responsibility on us. And by your grace and the power of the Spirit, we follow you. Nevertheless, all of that is not the foundation of our salvation. You are the foundation of our salvation. And we praise you for it. We thank you, Father, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you all.